the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head to Hour 3. I look so forward to these Thursday visits. Sam Stone is in the house. He is uh, running for city council uh, in District 6 here in Phoenix. But he is a man of many parts, and we talk about a lot of things, including his race, but everything that emanates from it and might impact it as well. So we do a little bit of national and a little bit of local with Sam. Sam, welcome back. How are you, sir? Seth, I'm doing great and always, always thrilled to be here. And Boy, we, we got some interesting developments on some stuff that's near and dear to our hearts, both of us. Yes, on a lot of fronts, actually. Yeah. Let me give your website out right away, samstone.vote, for those that want to learn a little bit more about him or help out his candidacy, which I entirely and wholeheartedly endorse. Also, you have your own radio show on Saturdays yourself. Yes, Saturdays, 3 p.m. right here on The Patriot. You can tune in, Breaking Battlegrounds. We're also online. You know, if you your podcast, we throw in a little extra podcast segment in. In there um so honestly i really have fun with that show we have great guests we have good conversations and that literally just came about because me and my best friend get bored and we and we like to find things to do so chuck warren has you know been my best friend for a decade basically um and we, and we love doing it. We love coming in here and having fun on the air and talking to interesting people from around the country and around the world. Two smart guys having coffee and talking. No big whoop. And, and you find amazing <laughs> connections. So, I mean, one of the people we've interviewed recently is a ex, ex uh, special forces guy who put together a group of, of special force operators uh, during the Afghanistan pullout crisis oh, yes. to go into yes. Afghanistan and rescue American citizens. I saw him interviewed elsewhere. Yeah, and, and, wonderful. and pull them out and rescue them. And now, obviously, he is heavily involved in what's going on in Ukraine, no. getting American citizens out. No. And there was an amazing story literally just yesterday. They came out. Uh, they're kind of an oddball situation, right? So a pair of American parents had contracted a Ukrainian woman to serve as a surrogate mother uh-huh. and she gave birth you know during the conflict there and they couldn't get to her the children so she fled to st petersburg where russian authorities captured her and took the children and put them in a russian foster home you know and and they would have been just gone and these you know the, these are it's a surrogate so these are american kids mm-hmm. i mean you know biological mom biological dad both american um and you know, I mean, obviously they're freaked out. And once the kids are in that system, you're never going to see them again. They're going to get adopted out to Russian families or just be stuck in, in one of the most horrid, you know, so it's tragic. it's not really a developed country in every way. Yeah. So, so so tragic. systems like their penal system, like Brittany Griner is dealing with or their their foster system are just barbaric. I was listening to. um, and, and, But anyway, they went in and, and actually went into Russia covertly 
and extracted these kids. Oh, wow. They did a Ross Perot. Yeah, no, I mean, they they went wow. into, into St. Petersburg and pulled them out and got them out of the country. God bless them. I mean, that's... You talk about taking your life in yeah. your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be executed on the spot. I mean, you know, awesome. the, and, and the Russians yeah, They could actually, have been arrested and never seen the light of day again. But not only arrested, but actually I think even like under the Geneva Code, Russia would have had a right to execute them. Incredible. Incredible. I mean, you know, there's that famous photo from Vietnam of, of a, a South Vietnamese yeah. officer executing a North Vietnamese officer. And everyone's always kind of used that as a... a a picture of like the brutality of the American involvement. But the truth was the the person who was being executed there was a North Korean spy caught on the battlefield out of uniform who under the Geneva Code is some is liable to summary execution. Right. And these guys probably would have been in the same position. Wow. Wow. That's courage. That's heroism. It's, it's amazing. That's a great story. It's amazing. Sometimes a picture doesn't say a thousand words. Right. And that Vietnam picture is a good one. We've had a whole series of hoaxes where pictures clearly are immediate. I mean, start with the Covington Catholic kids. They can be worth a thousand words, but they can also be a thousand words taken entirely out of context. Right. right. And, exactly right. you know, I mean, the Covington kids is a great example of that. Um, my favorite my my favorite thing from that, Nick Sandman, the kid who was at question, um, when they sued MSNBC, yeah. MSNBC literally had to go into federal court and argue that they were not a news network, right. that right. no one could take them seriously as a news network. Right. And the judge agreed with their argument and let them off the hook. I, I To this day, anytime someone says MSNBC, I'm like, well, they got a federal judge to agree they're not a news network. So let's talk about something else. You know, the pretzel logic, the journalistic industry, the, the industry of journalism now is twisting itself into. I mean, it's such an interesting thing. I spoke about this earlier on the show today in my monologue. It's a real passion of mine, this, this whole perversion of of journalism in the first amendment you know once upon a time journalists thought that their job and we all thought their job was to hold the government accountable and to investigate the government today it seems if it's the right kind of government they want to be its handmaiden um and if anyone uh, ever compels them to testify reveal their sources even in illegal actions like the disclosure of classified wartime intelligence they'll rob themselves in the first amendment and say no sure. we have a first amendment right to conceal this and to do what we're doing all the time but that first amendment right was meant for them so that they could condemn not condemn but that they could investigate and criticize the government it's as if they've never read the journalists creed it's as if they've never read the pentagon papers case it's as if they've never read new york times you saw it's a weird thing that's going on here with the journalist profession in the First Amendment and the government. There's a huge element. And, of, there are, and they're seemingly OK with the government uh, keeping an eye on misinformation of certain members in their industry. Which seemingly is, OK. Which is total this. insanity, right. because sooner or later, it's not going to be limited. You know, I mean, look, China is the path forward. If that's if that's your idea of, of good governance and good uh, control of, con, you know, of content online or of of speech in per, whether in person or online or whatever, um, if that's your idea, then your idea is China. Mm -hmm. And you know, look, look at China right now. Does that look like a place where you or I or anyone who who from this country actually wants to live? I mean, one of the funniest things, you know, is how ignorant the even the journalist class on the left really is about the world. Um, you know, you had Ben Rhodes uh, from the Obama administration come out, and I think the New Yorker years ago, and basically just diss journalists and say, you know, look, we can tell we you. He said yeah. that, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, he straight up you. said, we, we play them, we tell them whatever they want, they run with it because they don't know anything. Right. 
Um, and, and yeah, and look, how many of them then go into some sort of government service? They become public information officers or spokespeople in some variety. Um, and the history of our clandestine services is to use the press. I mean, we actually have a law, by the way. There is a U.S. federal law that bans the press, that bans our, our security services from using U.S. press members. It doesn't ban them from international press, but from using U.S. press members um, in clandestine roles in any way. But they get around that by just completely ignoring it. I mean, they don't pay them as sources. They just feed them garbage and count on them to put it out. And, you know, how many times have you seen these reports? CBS is my favorite because it's very clear they have one source CBS somewhere. My favorite. It's mine, too. Um, that they're like, oh, de- you know, embedded sources. Right. And it's always the same one. You right. can tell by the tone and what they're covering and all of this. It's always the same one. And they never have backup for it. And this is the, the chance that that person is not being controlled from higher up to feed them that information, that this isn't a deliberative misinformation campaign from the CIA or, or whichever service that guy's been involved with, is nil. We've seen this on and on, and people just um, – I, I guess they have dismissed the, the mainstream journalists uh, 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 with condign punishment. But the thing is these massive organizations continue onward. The New York Times did this early on with the Trump administration. Remember the highly – remember Anonymous who wrote the op-ed for the New York Times, a highly placed government yes. official? And then – um, and then they had representatives from the New York Times op-ed page saying, well, we, you'd all know him if we said his name, but right. we can't say his name. No one had ever heard of this joker. No one. And, no. And, and where is he now? No one even knows. No one knows. Right. No, this, this is a deliberative. I mean, you go back. There are some ex-CIA people who have talked about this. You can find the, the videos on YouTube or Rumble or whatnot um, where they've talked about their involvement in this and feeding information to journalists at the behest of, of the organization and controlling the narrative that way here in this country. And they've done it for decades. And the Soviets did it with the New York Times journalists, yeah. just as we have done it. With but them. now we've allowed what the Soviets did. And then, look, the left was smart. They looked at the Soviet Union and realized that there are some lessons to be learned there for how to indoctrinate people. Right. You start early, you pound that message in. Eason Jordan admitted this, too. I mean, there are so many cases. Circa 2003, he was the head of CNN, and he came out with an op-ed talking about how they kept covering up Saddam Hussein's crimes uh, for the price of being able to report from Baghdad. Mm-hmm. That he had he had I mean, a lot of these people do come out and admit this stuff. What we don't seem to be able to do is is know what before they tell us. We should already know it. No, we it, should just know what we're reading is propaganda. It's really sad. And most people who know me, even most people who know me probably don't know that I grew up my idol other than my father. Uh-huh. Um, my idols were journalists. Um, I am I am a huge fan of great journalism. Yeah, sure, you know, and and it has saddened me terribly to watch the destruction of this industry. So Sam Stone and I have just spent a segment talking about nothing we planned on, and I love it. I love it. <laughs> so we may do went more straight off the rails, but eighty <laughs> miles an hour in a good direction. All accelerator, no brake. That's what we can call this hour. I'm Seth Leaps, and he's Sam Stone. Sam Stone. Dot vote is his website. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. Sam Stone dot vote is his website as he is running for city council here in Phoenix. This will be a great public intellectual uh, if um, if we will all join together and get this good man into office. We need him there and uh, a strong voice. We'll talk about some of his uh, positions 
uh, in his race for city council in a moment. But you said something interesting to me, Sam, I'd love to pick up on in the last segment that growing up, your heroes were were journalists. Ernest Hemingway, first and foremost, Um, you know, but. So many great reporters from Edward R. Murrow and, you know, it, it, there's there. I, I my first job out of high school, straight out of high school, I took a year off uh, and interned at a newspaper in Boston that's since gone away. And it, it's a shame. It's called The World Paper. Uh-huh. And it was a Sunday insert uh, biweekly uh-huh. in I think it was something like 96 papers around the globe. It was printed in seven languages. Okay. Um and they did something really interesting. They did a deep dive each, every other week on one issue. Uh-huh. And they did it from the perspective of people all around the globe. So they would have a U.S. author write something about that, and then someone from Europe, someone from Asia, someone from Africa would all weigh in on these issues of international import. Um, and so you'd get a real variety of I can't yeah. think of a single thing like that anymore. There's n- nothing like that at all. Yeah. And, you know, that was a struggle for that paper. It was a very small little paper, obviously, but it was in the Boston Globe. I mean, it was it was in the London Times. Places, it was, you know, yeah. it was in a lot of really high end newspapers. And there's no content like that anymore. I loved um, I loved what they did. But even then, when I, I was there, you could see the beginning of the end for the news industry in that they were so I – th- I think part of their problem is they're so defensive. Yeah. You know, that they're that, defensive. And, you know, you mentioned Edward R. Murrow. I, you know, I just don't know that they even teach these people anymore. I mean, if you look at, for example, Edwin, Edward R. Murrow's – that famous broadcast on McCarthy. I read it to my audience the other day where he took down – famously took down Joe McCarthy. And I read it to my audience the other day switching names a little bit. You could have that with the McCarthyism – now that is taking place and the notion of fascists in the conservative movement or threats to democracy in the Republican Party. And there's no Edward R. Murrow anymore. It turns no, out no, they were really always on one side. They, they are. I mean, and that's, you know, even those guys. And, and when I grew up, um, Tom Brokaw was a friend of the family. My father knew him very well uh, from California. They had been friends when Tom was a local anchor there. Um, they used to play tennis at the Beverly Hills Country Club. Uh-huh. Um and and so they you know we would go down to Long Island and stay at his house when we went to New York and that sort of thing and um, phenomenal guy right definitely left of center in his own viewpoint but at that time and I'm talking about this is the 80s uh, you know through the early 90s when you know obviously as you get older I'm out of the house so I'm not going with my parents on trips to visit their friends anymore sure. but. Um, but he was really very serious and and very committed to. And non-ideological newscast. Yeah, it was him at the same time, and then it had a descend a, a descending line after him: Peter Jennings and Dan and Dan Rather. And uh, am I not right? Didn't Tom Brokaw Brokaw write the Greatest Generation? Yeah, I mean, you could yeah. sense that this man had a love for America, a huge love, for a liberal America. love for yeah, America, no, a liberal love. But Dan Rather and Peter Jennings were of a different order. And today they would be con- well, seen as, as conservatives yeah, and, by the and, industry. And, and, and um, Brokaw really kind of lost it around Trump. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, you know, yeah. I mean, and, and I get it. Trump's so out of the norm for some of these folks, especially someone like him who values com- some comportment and yeah. decency yeah. and these things most of all. Because uh, Tom is, um, above everything else, an incredibly gracious and decent person yeah. when you're around him. And that's what he clearly values in relationships. So he doesn't like Trump. 
he clearly would not have liked Trump long before he ran for president and he kind of went off the rails. But which was sad to see, because I I think that really hurt his legacy um, of someone who had been one of the last truly unbiased, fair anchor journalists in this country. And, yeah, it's devolved terribly. And it's amazing to watch. I was in Tucson, living in Tucson, when the, the Daily Star basically crashed into what it is now, which is, is almost nothing. I think it's like eight pages most days. You know, so four four actual sheets of paper. Uh-huh. I mean, it's tiny, right, other than some ads. And you saw them go from, from left center, left of center, de- decidedly left, to far left, to wackadoodle left. And – they're screaming the whole time that, you know, over the course of that, half their readership disappeared and they're all of a sudden in big financial trouble. Well, yeah, half your readership disappeared because you started insulting them in every column every day. <laughs> like, There's a lesson in that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, newspapers have in, in a lot of these TV stations, there's a niche approach to, to TV. Right. That newspapers, if you want to be the paper of record in town and you want to sell enough papers to make pay the bills you cannot do this and they've all done this and they're all suffering and they're all pointing fingers mm-hmm. everywhere but where the responsibility exactly right. is it's 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 the obvious it's uh, you know i almost want to say it's the elephant in the room it is so obvious if you would just appeal to everyone you claim to report for right if you would just actually whether you know whether the arizona republic it's a funny thing i grew up here and i re- i grew up in a liberal family as you did right yeah i'm oh, not yeah. casting aspersions and I remember liberals hated the Arizona Republic back in the day. Yeah, no, it was, it, it was pretty we, con- conservative. We used to get it in Tucson. Uh-huh. For my my father got it uh-huh. literally specifically to have a balance yeah. to the the Daily Star. Yeah. So yeah. he wanted to kind of get both sides yeah. of Arizona, yeah. and that's how he did. And yeah, and it was a financially successful paper at that time, and it represented its readership. Right, it represented the state of Arizona. It wasn't exclusively conservative, but it was decidedly conservative. Well, and, and it also I, had old school good journalists. I'm not even asking for Ron Bowles types. You know, the, yeah, I'm not asking for a conservative newspaper. No. I just want you to a that's what report, we're here for. Report the news, <laughs> we'll right? Do no, the that's and, and and that's the right niche for radio, yeah. right? It's the right niche for even for TV, but it's not. There's there's there was real value in CNN when it was a truly unbiased source of news for the entire globe, especially. Yes. With the international stories, particularly. That's um, right. You know, they, they were really a truly very valuable organization for the entire world. And they gave that up. Mm-hmm. And look at what's happened to them financially since they gave that up. It's they had a little spike. And then it's all been downhill. Well, you know, on this, it's it's looking at the problem for everywhere except where it exists. Roger Ailes understood that it, that there's no secret as to why Fox does well or Fox News was doing very well and is still doing very well. It represents as one outpost, simply one, different than everything else that's on right. table, cable and television. Roger Ailes said, you know, there's another half the country and it's not brain surgery that that's going to do well. And the funny thing is, for the great behemoth people think it is, I mean, thank God for it, their top show is still only like three million people. Well, and and one of the interesting things I actually find about Fox— Let me take a quick break, and yeah, let let me have you pick up on that when we come back, if that's cool. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Sam Stone. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. He's a candidate for city council. Samstone.vote. He's also a radio host here. You can hear him every Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. We were just making a point about Fox News and it being the outpost, but 
even with it being as popular as it is, the bogeyman that it is to the left and, you know, the hero that it is to so many of us, uh, it's still, you know, it reaches three million, four million people on its best broadcast. Yeah. Anyway. And you get a little bit, a little more boost these days through social media Absolutely. clips and those kind of things. Just but, as CBS does. Right. Um, <laughs> although they get much less. I mean, you know, uh, but, but one of the things about Fox News, I think the left doesn't give credit for. And I don't think the right even pays enough attention to this, is that while the commentators, the show hosts, are decidedly conservative, their news broadcast is Brett Bear's the best hour on television. Straight down the middle. Yeah, that's the closest thing you get to straight down the middle. It's a little right of center, but barely. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Brett Bear, their news is still news. Oh, yeah. The, The thing that's missing that I actually really loved about CNN was the international bureaus and having the depth of people across the globe who could who could cover issues. How I mean, not that China would allow it, but there's no journalists from the West trying to get into China right now to find to 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 get to the bottom of of the protests and everything going on there in in 20 years ago i guarantee you there would have been someone from cnn sneaking across the border somewhere oh yeah oh yeah yeah no that's absolutely right risking their life but but they would have done it no i mean we had good coverage of tiananmen square we had good coverage of it and that was what 89 i think 89 yeah so it was within our recent memory um but the the question I did want to kind of ask you for the audience that's always renewing itself here, Sam, um, if you can, in a few minutes, you know, I mentioned that you grew up liberal. I, I don't think people would call you a liberal today. Uh, how did that change take place? Uh, it was a couple of things. Um, one, The biggest part of it is that the Democratic Party left me. Um, I, I grew up a Democrat. My father was a, a Democrat official in California, at one point chairman of the California Democratic Party. I grew up in a household that was very, very you know, we were a JFK household. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my my mother, my sisters, my whole family. Um, and an RFK household. Yeah. Your dad was yeah, close to Absolutely Robert, close and to the, the night he died. Yes. Yeah. No. Um, and, and a whole bunch of other people. You mentioned Joe McCarthy. He was good friends with Gene sure. uh, and helped run his presidential campaign. Um, you know, I mean, so deeply versed. But the reason we were all um, deeply versed as Democrats was because at that time, if you go back to, you know, I was born in 75. I became politically aware in the early mid 80s because we had a family that talked this stuff at the dinner table. So you're seven, but you're getting the, you know, you're getting some scoop. Um what changed was that we were we were Democrats. My father's moved away from them, too. Um, my mother hasn't. And some of the others haven't. But we were Democrats because of war and civil liberties. Yeah. Same with our family. And, and my position on that hasn't changed. I don't believe in political violence, um, war especially. I don't believe it. it's productive. I, I don't think, you know, I mean, you have to stop aggression. When someone invades someone else, there's a legitimate reason to go and help the, the person being invaded. But. Beyond that, I really don't believe I, – I really don't like a lot of our involvement around the globe. Um, and if you go back to that time period um, – The Democratic Party. Democratic Party was very anti-war and, and legitimately so, which they're not now. They, right. There's some mouth lip so service to that, there, but, yeah, but it's yeah. not. Um, and two, those individual civil liberties. Yeah. And Republicans at that time, if, if people remember back, were not good on those. No. Right? right. They were not good on individual That's civil right. liberties right. and they were not good on the war issue. And so for me, those two things kind of guided where I was politically. I was always a blue dog. I mean, that's, my father was a business person. We were not crazy. We're not socialists. We're not out there. I mean, it was very much kind of 
socially liberal, but within, I mean, now that's a, a weird term because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to be called socially liberal anymore because socially liberal now is bad. Crap, yeah, that crazy, that but, itself went off the rails. Yeah. Social liberalism itself went off off the rails. You know, but but then the Republican Party, um, there's more of a legitimate anti-war movement now in the Republican Party than in the Democrat Party. Yeah. There's. For for those of us that kind of grew up, and I think it must have been a very similar household, what you're describing rings as if it could have been my childhood. Uh, I would add, you know, human rights was part of part of Huge. that concern. Um, civil rights. For, so so our my analog in my household would have been what you said that the analog to what you said would have been civil rights and human rights would have been the analog yes. in my household. And today, those pre, that that. that if you support those things, you, you, you're going to find relief in the Republican Party, not the Democratic yeah, Party. Yeah, no, you don't hear any Democrats pointing out what's going on in China. Well, um, when they do, it's almost eerily supportive. I mean, Thomas Friedman himself right. said we should be like more like China. Let me pick up on China just a little bit when yeah. we come back because my concern is not just what's going on there, which is a concern. My concern is that so many in America are kind of quietly accepting and adopting that Maoist Marxist point of view. And so it's terrifying. And they're using their financial might around the world to expand that viewpoint and really push on it. And you look at what they've done with Apple and some of these. Let's yeah, let's pick up on that. This is this is they brought the tech dogs to heal. Yeah, this is this is the issue of the day. It really is. Sam Stone and I'll be right back. Sam Stone is uh, my guest, has been my guest this hour. Delighted to have him. Samstone.vote uh, is his website. He is a candidate for city council um, here in Phoenix and uh, just a tremendous public intellectual as anyone who uh, listens to his own show or these interviews quickly figures out. As we watch this thing taking place in China, you know, I'm watching them now using little children, uh, 10-year-olds, to enforce the, the, the regime and enforce uh, the regime's uh, police powers against the protesters over there, Sam. Under 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 a guise of zero COVID, this is the notion in China, zero COVID. And, you know, we had that left here. People, the object of COVID in our rearview mirror is much closer than it appears. People have forgotten all this stuff. But there were people running around here saying, well, if everyone would just comply, if everyone would just mask and vaccinate, we would get rid of COVID. I'm but not letting you any- guys won't do it. You know, we're going to have, co- you know, we had zero COVID people here. And what did they use? Also the children. When yes. you think about what was done with the schools, when you think about the instantiation of fear we implanted in our kids, when we talked about this silly notion children are at high risk, a lie. Um, it's a weird thing that we seem to import a bit of this Maoist Marxism into our own country more and more every year. And that's what concerns me as much as what's taking place over there. It's China taking place here. It, it is absolutely China taking place here. And, and we need to understand that we now, uh, in the, what wasn't the case in, really until a few years ago under Xi, but we now face a global adversary. Um, not an enemy. You don't want to go that far and start thinking of them that way. But we face a global adversary, much like we did in the Soviet Union. And this is an ideological battle for the future of the world. And what does scare me most, I agree with you 100 percent, Seth, is the number of people in this country who are signaling that they're OK. Yeah, they like with the that future. Yeah, yeah. They, they like the in in Marxism, Maoism. Is really I, I'm a big fan um, of of history. I'm a big student of history, and one of the things I've studied a little bit 
and really found interesting is the Silk Road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the Chinese trading empire. Um, you know, obviously around the various dynasties, but also then during the Mongol era and that sort of thing. And um, what you realize if you read that and, and learn about Chinese culture from that period is that their version of Marxism, Maoism, is really just an excuse for further codifying cultural norms sure. that their elite already sure. wanted. And their elite, are, this is very much still a society of lords and peasants and always has been. And what they have done with their version of Marxism is codify under a political system that power instead of under a um, a feudal system. But it is still a feudal system. It's the children of the high high priests of Marxism who become the next high priest of Marxism in China. Um, so Xi's family is, you know, I mean, been involved in the high levels of their government for a long time. Same thing with their previous premiers. Th- this is very much uh, a lords, you know, lords and peasants kind of approach to the world, and they're they're now exporting it worldwide, and they're taking they're trying to take the most of the world if they can. And definitely includes us because they want us under their heel too. They believe China; uh, they have a term for it, the Middle Kingdom, right? Um, Donger, however they, yeah, which it, which yeah. actually meaning it's a higher level that you're you're at a it's a, it's a very racist thing. Mm-hmm. You're at a higher level than the rest of the world. They're lower forms of life. That's why the else. word ethnocentric exists, right. actually, and yeah. and so they are um, they are a really dangerous, pernicious um, government. And they need to be contested. And we're losing them. We're losing to them all across this globe. You know, on so many levels, whether we can describe them as feudal in a, in a medieval sense or feudal in a more modern sense, the difference between peasants and lords there and the difference um, with the American culture is both peasants and lords in China still believe in China. They both still they are do. very yes. much prideful of their country. They believe in their country. They believe in their country's mission. Yes. We don't. No. That's the problem here. The problem here is that a system will crumble once its citizens stop believing in its mission. And we have gone on a 50-year rant through our education system on teaching exactly that, most recently in what's called the you know the 1619 Project is a version of that. But that's just really a culmination of what we've been doing for 50 years in our schools. It's, it's, they have nothing like that. They study math because they want to learn math and succeed. We study how we feel about math because we don't think that it can be anything. So, um, yeah, so people yes. don't, probably don't realize uh, – TikTok basically didn't exist in the U.S. in 2019. In 2020, it literally became the number one app for teenagers. Um, There are two versions of TikTok. There is a version that is sold and marketed here in the United States, and then there is a version in China. It ain't the same thing. It ain't the same thing at all. If you're in China and you're a kid, you're limited on TikTok to 45 minutes a day by by controls of – I mean, it's government, but but TikTok enforces that – the content is entirely educational. Right. I mean, it's like physics videos right. and how to build a house. Yeah. And it's like the Khan Academy right. or something. No, I mean, yeah, you get. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's some strange right. version of that. And, yeah. and like, uh, I, I don't know, what is the um, uh, uh, online school that they've got going on now? University of Austin, yeah, right? Like like it's yeah. it's, yeah. it's kind of like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, and then our version of TikTok is, po- is mental poisons, of course. Um, and by the way, folks, 
if you have TikTok because you know you you download it because you want to check up on your kids, I have bad news for you. You're not the only one checking up on them. Yeah, and not and now you're being checked up on, and you can't. You need to. You can't just delete the app. You actually need to go and get a new phone, and you cannot transfer your data. You're going to have to manually input. If you want security, if you do not want the Chinese government to have access to everything on your phone, but also the ability to turn on your camera, your mic, your audio mic, all that kind of stuff, if you do not want the Chinese government to have that, you literally have to take your phone and just dump it in a bucket of water. You know one thing I'm trying to get the audience to pay more attention to a little bit, as well as myself, is as much as Ron DeSantis is so good on all this stuff, don't take your eye off Christy Noem. She just banned TikTok in South Dakota. Which is fantastic. Fantastic. I don't know if that'll hold up. I don't either. I don't either. But go. Let's have the fight. Here's my thing, Seth. I am all for a DeSantis gnome ticket. I am too. That's the perfect ticket for me. You know what? If they want to switch places and put Christy Gnome in front. Okay. That's my dream ticket. That's my dream ticket too. I... I am a huge fan of both of them. Mm-hmm. I think they've done a fantastic job. And Christy Nome, it doesn't get the, the airplay because of uh, South, South Dakota. Dakota. There's no media there. Right. right. But um, what they've done outside of COVID, I mean, in terms of the functional running of that state, the yep. economics, the growth, the opportunity, she has supercharged that state. Yep. She has done a beautiful job. Uh, that That is a beautiful ticket. I, 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 I didn't know you would say that, but that is what I totally believe as well. Let me uh, come back with uh, closing thoughts for the show. Uh, you can deliver them. This is so fun. It went so oh, fast. This is a blast. Yeah. yeah. It's too bad it's over already. <laughs> already over. We'll be right back. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, our friends and sponsors at Y-Refi have a great answer for you and a great solution. They have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. And there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no Fees, a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's a 10 and a quarter percent rate of return. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34. That's 888-Y-REFI-34. Sam Stone has been our guest, and you are such a great guest. You're a host in your own right on Saturdays. Um, this you, has been a blast of a conversation. Yeah, so, yeah no, you know, I, I, I mean, this has been fantastic. You always have a seat at this table, Sam. And, and, I, and I appreciate it, and I enjoy the opportunity to talk to you and interact with your listeners here. Um, you know what, folks? I've been talking to a lot of folks right now. They're very disheartened with what's going on, and I understand. I mean, I, I get that, right? I do. Um, I'm, I'm going to do a shameless pl- – I'm, sh- I'm going full shameless plug here, Seth. Go ahead. Full shameless Go plug. Ahead. Folks, we got one race with a conservative Republican still running in it in Arizona going on right now. And oh, by the way, when the votes get counted, it won't be the Maricopa County. Uh, it won't be Maricopa County. It won't be Stephen Richer. It'll be the, the city clerk for the city of Phoenix counting the votes. And I know her. She's a decent person. So we're OK. But you know what? Get behind me, folks. I mean, if, if you're right now looking for a way to, to keep fighting to keep this fight going. One more over the top, man. Yeah. You know what? Um, we can't lose our grip in the city of Phoenix. Sal DeCicio's termed out. I'm running to replace him. He's endorsed me. I'm his former chief of staff. Um, 
I think you all know if you've listened to me, I, I'm I'm not your standard politico. Um, I have some ideas about things we can do. I encourage you. Seth gave you the website samstone.vote a bunch of times. Go there, sign up, put your name down, get get involved. We're gonna have. I'm having an internal organizing meeting this week, kind of for the relaunch after the Good. what amounts to the primary, um, and then starting next weekend, we're starting going with walks and all that kind of stuff, um, folks. We can win this thing. My my opponent, who finished, he finished first in the you know, eight person field. Top two go to the runoff. He had fifteen hundred more votes than me. He spent almost. He raised a half a million. He spent a half a million. Yeah. Um, I, I spent seventy five grand. So, so a fiscal conservative too. I'm a fiscal conservative in my own right, and I we've got the ability to fight and win this seat. Let's not give it up. When is that election, Sam? March 14th is the election date. Ballots are go out in the middle of uh, uh, February. Right. And it's all mail election. Right. But again, no worries about the count. Let's just get this seat. Let's hold let's hold this down. Let's let's have some good news for the new year. I'm with you all the way. Samstone.vote. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson and until tomorrow, class is dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.